Hey there. Hello. So I wanted to open with a listener request. Yeah. So Charlie sent this to me on Instagram. We love uh, we love listener requests, by the way. Hell yeah. They're great. So he sent this report from the U.S. like intelligence, like I guess Homeland Security sent out this report. Oh, okay. Friends of the show, <laughs> Homeland Security. That's one way to put it. Uh, we're definitely not <laughs> their friends, though, because they talk about, quote, violent domestic extremists. And guess who makes the list? Who? 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 Uh, let's see. Let's see. Obviously, white supremacists. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> the cops, right? Mm, uh, I don't think they were on there. The cops aren't on there? Mm-mm, Mysterious. All weird. Right. I don't know how that one didn't get on there. <laughs> Basically, we are. (laughs) Oh, man, I haven't done anything violent, though. What does DVE stand for, you think? Domestic Violent Extremist or something. Okay, okay. I think. So, DVEs who oppose all forms of capitalism, corporate globalization, and governing institutions which are perceived as harmful to society. Whoops. Damn. (laughs) I guess we do that, yeah. We're not violent about it, but, like, yeah, you got me. See, I think that that, though, is a, that's going to be one of those, like, lines that seems like it's important, you know, like, oh, don't worry if you're not violent. There's even a line further up in that report, I know which one you're talking about, that says something like, just kind of theoretically advocating is kind of fine, or something like Mm, that. Okay. They're just saying, like, you know, saying in general that, like, revolution is a good idea is not necessarily, that's, like, more free speech. But I think that's one of those lines that's just like... <laughs> it's going to get cut. Yeah, they're they're just going to like ignore that when it comes down to it. The Supreme Court, can you imagine, you know, <laughs> fucking Justice Alito saying, nah, it's fine, you no, can be an totally anarchist fine. extremist. Like, no. like <laughs> No, that's that ain't going to hold water. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this country has, we've talked about it so much, a rich history of targeting subversives and they'll get you on their side and they'll be like oh you know we're gonna use this against the right but who do they actually use it against you know for sure well that's a good segue to today's topic (laughs) ah yeah so u.s fuckery is what you mean Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh yeah thanks shout out again yeah thanks charlie yeah shout out again to charlie for that question uh yeah today we're going to be talking about cuba yeah. And in particular, an event that we've mentioned on the show before, mm-hmm. but we're going to be focusing in, kind of doing a deep dive on an event called the Bay of Pigs Invasion. Hell yes. I did my homework this time. I actually re-listened to our Che episode. <laughs> Great job. Awesome. Yeah. Gold star. Thank you. Um, it was difficult because it's one of those episodes where I was on the wrong mic, so I sounded like shit. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but if you listener are okay with that and want to do a quick review of some Cuban history, that's episode 21. If you want to go back and listen to that, um, that's our biography on Che Guevara and the touches on these topics. So, but you know, I feel like you don't need to. I don't know. Yeah, we'll, we'll go over the pertinent points. If you're, you know, fuzzy on the Cuban revolution, that's a good one to revisit because we're not going to really dive into that much. Yeah. Only to set the scene. Cool. But, uh, but yeah, that's what we're doing. All right. So the basics, the Bay of Pig invasion happens April 17th through April 20th, 1961. Okay. All right. It's part of the larger Cold War 
sort of view. Mm -hmm. And I kind of want to give some background to that so that we all are on the same page as far as the U.S.-Cuban relationship up to that point, because it's messed up. (laughs) (laughs) You think? No, we were best friends, and then it all went bad. That's what imperialism is about, is being best friends, right? (laughs) Um, If you have very poor boundaries in your friendships, then maybe... (laughs) Yeah, when, it's like when your workplace says we're a family here, Ooh. like that's that's imperialism, basically. <laughs> we're a family here. That's the imperialistic family relationship. But yeah, let's start at the beginning of the U.S.-Cuban relationship. This really goes as far back as like we're talking like Thomas Jefferson times, okay? Oh, okay. Uh, when America's expanding, the United States is just first growing and taking over fucking land, you know? And as you do. Yeah, doing what we call manifest destiny, right? This, Ew. You, you, you got this term. You know what this is. Yeah, it's all like the right to expand westward that like it's our fucking land basically. And, you know, let's kill anyone who's in the way. Right. Yes, exactly. It's kind of a holy mission or something. It's messed up. Pretty fucked up. People even back then saw uh, Cuba as like a natural future extension of the U.S. This was part of of manifest destiny back then they were like it's just gonna you know by the law of like geographical gravity this is just gonna like be ours because it's close i mean it is super close but that is not a reason like things can be neighbors (laughs) and not be the same thing (laughs) like there are plenty of countries that are adjacent yeah it's like a kid looking around and saying like uh, like looking at these toys and just being like oh that's mine that's mine (laughs) they were touching (laughs) yeah (laughs) So, uh, you know, from way back when, and we had the Spanish-American War. That's an example of mm, yeah. America really jumping into the empire game overtly. Yeah. This is in 1898. Brief rundown is there's a ship called the USS Maine, which exploded and sank in Havana Harbor. Mm-hmm. Uh, it looked like it was an accident, but like a lot of people had already been kind of pushing for war with Spain mm. because they wanted to take over Cuba. They said like, oh, you know, they're being mean to the Cubans. And I mean, they were right. They were doing empire. As if they were going to be nice to them. (laughs) Yeah, that's, they wanted to be doing the dominating. Yeah, it's not like they're being mean to Cuba. Let's give them independence. It's let, let me take over. (laughs) Right, exactly. But that is actually what we said. The United States passed something called the Teller Amendment. Okay. When war first broke out. And that's exactly, they were like, no, 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 we're just trying to do Cuban independence. We don't want to, like, take over. I don't fucking believe that. <laughs> Did we do that for the Philippines, too? Because weren't they in that whole war situation? Uh, no, that, that that just applied to Cuba. Mm, okay, okay. For the Philippines, we're like, we're just going to take that one. Right. <laughs> uh, and so, I think that the rest of it, Puerto Rico, Guam, the Philippines, ended up being in it, but that wasn't like what people were thinking at the time Mm, Okay, is how that happens. But anyway, the U S wins and they follow up that nice teller amendment (laughs) with the mean Platt amendment, which, uh, even though they claimed we're going to make sure that you have independence or whatever, the Platt amendment said that that independence, uh, includes giving us the right, giving the United States the right to stabilize Cuba with, military invasion or occupation whenever they wanted to okay okay (laughs) (laughs) i just that's like saying hey i'm gonna get rid of your mortgage or whatever i'm gonna buy your house from you i'm not gonna give it to you no wait i'll give it to you but you have to let me just stay there whenever i want right yeah (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh-huh. That's uh, what they did. They, they This also included in the infamous naval base at Guantanamo Bay. Damn, that's an old-ass base. I didn't realize it was that old. Yeah. The U.S. makes good use of the Platt Amendment, or I guess actually really bad use <laughs> in moral terms. <laughs> Uh, they there there's something called the first occupation of Cuba, which is right after the uh, Spanish American War. This is like setting up provisional sort of government mm-hmm. situation, military government, 1898 to 1902. Of course, based on that name, there's the second occupation of Cuba. Just same thing, a military government. Basically, an election went sideways, and we were like, whoa, and just set up a military government for a while, 1906 to 1909. Now, when you say an election went sideways, does that mean they, like, accidentally, quote-unquote, elected a socialist? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, no, in this case, it was a conservative, the guy in power uh, rigged the election. <laughs> Whoops. And then the liberals were like, no, come on. But it was just like a moderate liberal situation. Okay, okay. And they're like, no, that's not fair. And then the U.S. was like, let's not get too crazy. <laughs> no government. It's just us. No oh democ- democracy anyway, you know. Totally wow. there's a government. We kick you in the face if you don't do what we say. Wow, but. cool. <laughs> nice guys. Uh, they, they also helped crush an uprising of Afro-Cuban rebels in 1912. Of course they do. And they uh, come in in what's called the sugar intervention okay from 1917 to 1922 basically u.s owned sugar plantations were scared mm. of some uprisings of course so they called in the marines <laughs> and took care of it wow oh good so well, we're going to be talking about the bay of pigs invasion where the united states tries to invade cuba this is the backstory to that <laughs> they've done it a lot sounds like yeah, they had some experience. And even after that, when Cuba by then is kind of nominally independent, we covered some of this when we were talking about Che Guevara. Uh, the U.S. was still doing neocolonialism there, right? They were still like dominating. All right. So for the class, neocolonialism, what do you got? So that's when a country doesn't like own another country they're not technically in charge but they like economically fuck them over over and over again to where they're like dependent on them for resources and you know they take their resources process it and sell it back to them for crazy prices they just do all kinds of fuckery hell yeah wonderful another gold star we'll see how many you have by the end of the episode Two so far pretty proud of those that's spot on. Yeah, it's economic domination. There's always that threat of military force behind it. That's true. That's true. But it's not overt. Eventually, Cuba ends up nearly completely owned by American capitalists. Mm-hmm. They end up under the dictatorship of this asshole named Fulgencio Batista. This guy. This fucking guy. Yeah. Real piece of shit. Uh, of course, he was in the pockets of the United States government and corporations, and even the American mafia. <laughs> Jesus. This And he was super, super corrupt. I mean, mm-hmm. talked about this guy literally got a golden telephone as a gift <laughs> from the telephone companies that he was selling Cuba out to. That sounds inconvenient, like heavy to pick up. Yeah, like you, if you did if long you phone did. calls, your neck would hurt, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, they all had the big, huge headsets back then. So. I guess they were all heavy then, yeah. You get to this point where, you know, all of Cuba's wealth, and it was abundant. They had a ton of wealth, right? But all of that was going to the U.S. because they owned the island. And meanwhile, the Cubans were suffering. Poor. No health care, no education, near slavery conditions. Yep. This is where you get the Cuban Revolution. In 1956 to 1959, Batista gets overthrown mm-hmm. in this. I mean, it's a, it's a war. Uh, Fidel Castro, Che Guevara, 
Frank Pais, Celia Sanchez, so many other brave Cubans fight and prevail against the American-backed and supplied Batista regime. Hell yeah. Yeah, and there's, you know, there's a lot of moving parts there. We're not really going to get into it. Suffice it to say, they overthrow Batista and Cuba has this new, you know, democratic government. And so they start, you know, make, doing reforms. Mm-hmm. The United States, in the beginning, uh, recognizes the new Cuban government. That's kind of surprising. I thought so, too. It's like, well, it's pretty, <laughs> pretty quick, you know, like a, like a week or something after. Oh, wow. Very quick. And, I mean, I think it's just because, like, the writing was on the wall. Mm-hmm. Batista was gone. I mean, he had, he had fled the country already. Yeah. Stole, like, millions of dollars on his way out. And nobody also, another thing is nobody really knew what Castro, who had kind of emerged as the primary leader here and his kind of circle, what, like, political program they were going to follow. He wasn't going around saying, I'm a Marxist, I'm a Marxist. Oh, yeah, that's right. He was like a secret communist or just wasn't communist yet. Unsure. Yeah. I mean, he definitely was communist influenced, at least. And I lean toward the idea that he, you know, deep down knew he was a communist. Mm -hmm. Just playing that game. On some level. Yeah. And that's, I mean, honestly, it ended up being smart. So Yeah, honestly. (laughs) You're like right beside a colossus that is like actively fighting other countries and its own people in this ideological yeah, war against call. communism. So yeah, <laughs> you should not tell them that. But anyway, they establish relations kind of early on, but very, very quickly those sour. Okay. Not very surprising why the cause, what the cause for that is, right? Um, probably the corporations wanted to keep pulling bullshit and Cuba was like, no. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Cuba keeps trying to improve the lives of its people by like doing reforms, right? Doing one big one is land reform. Mm-hmm, that's my shit. And yeah, the, the corporations that are there, they're like, fuck that. This is our land. You know, we, you got to pay us in actual cash dollars if you're going to take our stuff. Because what they had been doing was like basically tax evasion. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I remember this. They were, they were claiming that their land was, like, not worth very much, so they didn't have to pay taxes. And so the gov- mm-hmm. then the new government was like, all right, here's that much to buy the land. Like, yep. here's 25 <laughs> bucks or whatever. You're right. And they're like, but this is worth millions of dollars. It doesn't say so here, man. Like, <laughs> and so they start doing this. They take land from the sugar plantation owners. They break it up. They distribute it Love to the it. people. They ban foreigners from running sugar plantations. Mm. Those companies go running back to the United States saying, oh, look what they did to us. We've got to do something. One, I just wanted to bring up the idea of the monoculture and how, like, that's also very environmentally devastating. And I remember there's, like, a chapter on on that in Open Veins about how, like, because Cuba was, like, 90, not 90%, it was a crazy amount of just sugar plantations. Like, it really fucked up their soil. So, like, they had to work against that. Mm-hmm. And they had to do it gradually, too. It was kind of interesting. I remember he discussed, like, for a while, they were saying, that, you know, we're building these mountains of sugar. We're just, you know, we're still producing tons mm-hmm. of sugar because we can only gradually wean ourselves away from it. And in the meantime, we have to use that sugar to get, like, the agricultural implements we need to, to change. Yeah, you know, was, yeah. I thought that was kind of cool. For sure. The United States is getting all these complaints from the only constituent that matters to them, capital, <laughs> right? We're losing jobs. Yeah, yeah. We can't create. Aren't they foreign jobs? Uh, Yeah, but it's... I it's guess a, they have some home offices. 
The sugar accountants, they have nothing to count. <laughs> what are they going to do? We can, yeah. Or probably like the processing plants were, were here. The I don't bagging know. plants and just the retail and stuff. I mean, there is an economy in transporting and all that stuff too. Whatever. It's not just raw materials or whatever. Yeah. But, uh, and so the United States, of course, responded. They're real quick to respond to those sorts of calls. I mean, like, <laughs> Absolutely. you know, reforming even or uh, much less abolishing the police or anything like that chance. Mm-mm, but mm-mm. <laughs> <laughs> the CIA started backing up these rebels in the Cuban countryside that were that had sprung up. This is called the Escambray Rebellion. Okay. They were anti-communists. They were Batista loyalists, uh, hangers on. And the CIA started like funding them, giving them money, helping them oh, shit. to do this. This is very secretive, but we do have documents that like that was going on. Uh, this is the, I mean, the again, the first year of the existence. <laughs> year one. Of the, this is even while we're still trying to be friends. Wow, you know? that's pretty bad if that's your friendship. Yeah, fake friends. Talk about it. I mean, there's no <laughs> faker friend than in the United States. It's true. And so this pattern kind of continues. Cuba will do something to upset American business interests. Mm-hmm. And... The American government gets suspicious, gets freaked out because they see a communist conspiracy around every curtain. You know, <laughs> like, they respond with some sanctions or calling Cuba like a, you know, sliding into communism or whatever. Okay. It's just a back and forth. Yeah. There's another ship explosion. We mentioned this in the Che episode two. Is this the French one? Yes. The French freighter. Yeah. Okay. Called La Cubra. It kills you know a lot of people, 75 people. Castro goes out there and blames the United States. There's never, we've never found evidence that really it was them or the CIA or anything. I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't either. It's, you know, <laughs> it, but again, also like ships have, you know, just blown up. Sometimes before, ships so. blow up. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, it wouldn't surprise me. Like you could tell me the CIA did almost anything. I'd be like, yeah, that sounds real. Unless it's something like, you know, good. <laughs> Anything bad. <laughs> the CIA was building schools in this country. Yeah, no, they didn't. But what kind of schools were they? Were they like conservative schools? Schools for the Americas, like yeah, assassination schools. schools. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a real thing. Um, oh, God. Yeah, they, um, this part of, you know. Oh, Contra. Uh, Condor, yeah. Or Condor. I always mix those up. Contras was after, but I mean, it's the same game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, by this point, the United States has had enough, and it's President Dwight D. Eisenhower who authorizes the CIA to organize, train, and equip Cuban refugees as a guerrilla force to try to overthrow Castro. Okay, cool. This is in March 1960. Officially, we still have diplomatic relations. <laughs> this is just off the books. Hey, start Great. doing this. Great. Yeah, uh... If you're wondering, like, man, well, you know, okay, what else might the CIA be up to in regards to Cuba? <laughs> a lot, I'm sure. So at that time, even, yeah, they were already putting together a lot of kind of crazy plots to not just topple him in a, in a military takeover, you know, and, and mm-hmm. take over Cuba that way, but also just to straight assassinate or discredit uh, Fidel Castro directly. Yeah, one time you told me how many assassination attempts he had had, and it was a crazy number. Well, yeah, it's a crazy enough number to have a Wikipedia article dedicated to it. Okay, give me that number. Uh, So the church committee, the U.S.'s own investigation of it, (laughs) they only substantiated eight attempts. Okay, so it's way more than eight. 
Yeah, Fabian Escalante, retired chief of Cuba's counterintelligence, whose job it was to keep swatting all these down, <laughs> estimated the number of assassination schemes or actual attempts by the CIA to be 638. Oh, my God. Somewhere between 8 and 638 <laughs> is the answer. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So this operation just starts by being called like the Cuban operation or something like that, but eventually evolves into something called Operation Mongoose. That's a pretty cool name. I'll give him that. Yeah, no, it ends up uh, coming up with some really weird ideas, thought up by some really evil people. All right, mm. one of them is Sidney Gottlieb. This is the guy uh, whose his Wikipedia article uh, calls him a chemist and spy master. <laughs> okay, that's cool. That's an yeah, cool, but fucking evil. Like you can't bring a D and D character to the table say. and say, "Oh, I'm a lawful good." Chemist and spy master. spy master. I was going to say, yeah, that is a lawful evil-ass class if I've ever heard one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's the guy who ran MK Ultra, the CIA's, oh, like, mind control okay. fuckery. Yeah, that thing is scary. So he contributed some of these. And overall, here's some examples. Uh, one which stuck out to me is really stupid. Putting <laughs> salt in Castro's shoes. Not just regular salt, like thallium salts. Oh. Okay, and what yeah, this yeah. was supposed to do was make his beard fall out. His very iconic beard, and this would embarrass him. That's really dumb, guys. <laughs> this guy got paid a lot of money to do that, to come up with that idea. <laughs> right. Which means he had a lot of, like, he hires people that will say yes to those kinds of ideas. Everyone <laughs> signed off on that. Yeah, yeah, that was approved. <laughs> they only didn't do it because... Castro canceled that trip that he was supposed to like leave his shoes out of his hotel room to be polished. Oh my God. Oh my God. But well, we'll lace his cigars with something, this chemical that will like disorient him. Okay. <laughs> we'll spray his TV studio down with a LSD light compound. Sorry, what? So he'll just like start tripping balls when he's on his oh TV my address. Oh gosh, that's insane. <laughs> yeah. Poisoning various things, his cigars, wetsuit, a fountain pen. This one, an exploding conch shell. Just walk, a peaceful walk on the beach. Blam. <laughs> this is some, like, Looney Tunes level shit. <laughs> yeah, this is just watching <laughs> Wiley Coyote try Absolutely. to kill the Roadrunner. Oh, my God. Yeah, they also had more straightforward things. Like, why don't we just pay the mafia $150,000 to kill him? Like, That's one option. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, lots of stuff going on there. Uh, the U.S. also ends up putting an arms embargo on Cuba. They had actually already had mm. this during the Cuban revolution to seem like they were not playing sides, you know, mm -hmm. but this ends up driving Cuba toward buying arms from the Soviet Union, who was okay. really hesitant about this. They were like, we don't know anything about this Castro dude. They did this revolution on their own. We don't know if they're like ours, you know, if they mm -hmm. like us, if they like the United States, who knows? Yeah. So yeah. They've been very hesitant to step in. This is in May 1960. Uh, and so the next, you know, you know, that escalates things. The United States is like, fuck that, right? Mm -hmm. Eisenhower says, well, we're not going to export oil to you guys anymore. Okay. So Cuba says, fine, we'll buy it from the Soviets, right? <laughs> That's in June. But American-owned oil refineries in Cuba said, no way, we're not going to refine Soviet oil. Oh, my God. So Cuba said, that's fine. You don't have to. We'll just nationalize your refineries and then we'll do it. <laughs> Fuck yes. 
<laughs> and of course, the Americans, none too pleased. <laughs> mm-hmm. They ran to daddy. Yes. Yeah. And so they launch a wider trade embargo in response. And so Cuba says, fine, fuck it. We're nationalizing all American businesses. <laughs> Any American owned properties. That's ours now. That's See you later. Assholes. Oh, that's so good. Just like, fine, fucking leave. Yeah. And so then you have the tail end of it. I mean, you know, they start expelling diplomats each side. And, and on January 1961, uh, the U.S. officially severs diplomatic relations with Cuba. Got it. So now let's get to the real nuts and bolts okay. of the Bay of Pigs invasion. That's the background. That's how things got to where they are. How did they okay. get here? Right. And how this is supposed to work. So we said March 1960, Eisenhower told the CIA, figure out a way to invade Cuba, overthrow Castro, and also make it look like we didn't do this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Be cool about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, fly casual. He gives the CIA a budget of just a, a cool $13 million. Jesus, okay. Figure it out. Okay. <laughs> In charge of the CIA was friend of the show, Alan Dulles. Fuck that guy. <laughs> Does he throw a, a pizza party with his $13 million and puts pineapples all over it from his, like, fruit company? <laughs> <laughs> you would think, yeah. So he's the main guy running the show. Talked about this asshole before. Some high points to give you an idea of what kind of guy this is. You mentioned he was on, like, the chair, the, the board of directors for United Fruit Company. Yep. And that came into play when the CIA did a coup in 1954 against Guatemala, where United Fruit Company had a ton of interests tied up there, a ton of land. Mm-hmm. He also had orchestrated a coup called Operation Ajax okay. in 1953, the year before, a coup against the democratically elected prime minister of Iran, Mohammad Mossadegh. Okay. Who had tried to nationalize oil there and that pissed off, you Can't know, the oil companies. So, yeah. This guy, like, knew how to overthrow government. That was his deal. <laughs> he was the fixer. Right. Um, although we'll get into a bit later that he wasn't always that great at it. So, <laughs> <laughs> under him was a guy named Richard Bissell, the CIA's deputy director for plans. That's a very vague title. Yeah, just plans. He just uh, plans where they go to lunch every right. day. <laughs> Sandwiches? Okay, sandwiches. Sounds good. Uh, I'll, I'll decide where. Uh, you guys get me your orders. Uh, <laughs> he was in, actually you know, in charge of a lot more than that. He was responsible for more than half the CIA's budget and its covert operations. So Shit. This was like the manager of all that. And so he put together a team. He was doing the Bay of Pig stuff. In April 1960, mm-hmm. he sends people out to recruit anti-Castro Cuban Americans or exiles, whomever he could find, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also sent a fellow named E. Howard Hunt to find Cubans who could form kind of a Cuban government in exile or like, I think, a, oh, yeah. like a provisional government that could take over mm-hmm. once the deed was done, you know? Oh, my God. <laughs> e. Howard Hunt's a neat guy. This is a side note a little bit, but he was uh, one of, he was like a CIA guy, you know? Mm-hmm. He had worked on the Guatemalan coup, and later on in life, he ends up being one of the Watergate burglars. Oh, my God. Uh, he's just like a, you know, a real character. Some people, uh, conspiracy heads about mm-hmm. the Kennedy assassination, say he was Ooh. there in uh, Dealey Plaza when Kennedy was killed. Okay. He's one of those characters that just kind of shows up, shadowy guy. 
Oh, yeah. okay. Lizard man. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so the idea was to find, you know, Cubans who had fled Castro's, you know, oppression with nothing but the clothes on their back and whatever Tragic. they could steal on their way out. Yeah. Tragic. Yes. Very oh. sad. They had no more of their hard-earned plantations or slave labor or any of that. <laughs> so you find these guys to do the invasion, to run the country in a more, more pro-American way. I love I love that they got a government, like, really putting the cart before the coup. <laughs> <laughs> right? This group that they put together, the military force of it, mm-hmm. eventually ends up getting called Brigade 2506. Okay. They put together these guys, but they still have to, like, train them, equip them, and then, you know, send them off to Cuba to be greeted as liberators, of course. <laughs> Obviously. Uh, <laughs> so the training. Mm-hmm. Uh, recruits, they were trained all over the place. It's pretty impressive. They're flown to all these locations from Florida. That's the kind of the nexus of this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're, they're flown at night on these secret CIA flights. Ooh, okay. But they go like, they, they start out getting basic training in South Florida. The CIA had secretly bought up like properties and stuff through front companies. Uh, and they also just used Air Force bases, which is a lot more obvious. <laughs> and, and, yeah, right? Yeah, it became kind of a problem like, okay, people are seeing this, like, we need to yeah. move. So they moved it to Guatemala, which, of course, now is a U.S.-backed friendly regime <laughs> because they knocked over the previous one. Wow, okay. Uh, so that kind of paid off for them, you know. it was Yeah, <laughs> yeah, plan ahead. <laughs> a fortunate byproduct for Empire. They also uh, did flight training down there, paratrooper training there, which they for that they brought in, like, U.S. instructors from the Alabama mm. Air National Guard. They got guerrilla training in Panama at U.S. Army bases there. Jesus. Okay. Uh, they got boating slash amphibious landing training in Puerto Rico. Okay. Tank training in Fort Knox, Kentucky and Fort Benning in Georgia. Uh, and they also did underwater demolition training near New Orleans. Okay. So they just went on a cruise of training. <laughs> Around the Gulf of Mexico, basically. I imagine that not every guy did everything, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, so yeah, it was a lot of that, a lot of transportation for that, a lot of equipment. They bought lots of light bomber slash ground attack airplanes. Uh, they modified them to not look like American planes. Mm, yeah, <laughs> did some paint jobs. Yeah, yeah, basically. Tanks, lots of tanks. Uh, they also bought up five cargo ships they bought them from a cuban dealer in miami trying to make it's like oh this isn't our stuff you know uh plausible deniability i'm just picturing them being like okay it says usa on it let's make it say well what would you try to change usa to uh usain bolt (laughs) this is usain bolt's boat (laughs) it's called usain boat (laughs) (laughs) that's yeah he should get a boat like that uh, what else did they do? They got two old landing ships from World War II. They got a bunch of, they made a bunch of like counterfeit currency to give them for when they got there. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, obviously lots of guns and ammo and medical supplies, that sort of shit. Dang. So, okay. They got the crew. They got the equipment. Mm-hmm. Now what? The plan. What are we going to do with all this shit, right? Mm-hmm. So originally they thought of doing the landing at Trinidad in Cuba. It was good because it's kind of a landable bay and it's near the Escambre Mountains. Uh, which is, they thought, a pretty good region to go to if we needed to retreat. That way we retreat mm-hmm. further inland and start doing guerrilla warfare. And it kind of works, maybe. Yeah. Uh, but the airfield there was not long enough to get the planes that they wanted to come in. 
So in April 1961, uh, by this point, JFK is president, John F. Kennedy, mm-hmm. uh, said, okay, well, let's do the invasion at the Bay of Pigs. Okay. There's a big enough airfield there. And so they drew up the invasion plan for the Bay of Pigs. They give like they give the beaches names D-Day style, like oh, this is Blue Beach, Red Beach, Green Beach. Oh my god. They really <laughs> These you know guys are all sorts of wangs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean they wanted to feel like it was the real deal. Yeah. I mean they had an operation called Operation Mongoose. Like it's tricky because I'm like, these sound like Tom Clancy novels, and I'm like, well, probably the Tom Clancy novels were based on these. Yes, yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's what it is, is Tom Clancy's one of these guys that wants to feel cool. <laughs> They, okay, so yeah, they drop the plans and they're like, we're going to take the beach. The planes will be flying and giving us air cover. Mm-hmm. Right? They're going to do some early diversions before that to kind of distract them. We'll send in the ships to kind of resupply as we go. Okay. And we'll also send in some paratroopers, cut off the rest of the Cuban army from coming in to the, our location, like bl- do some blockades on the, on the roads okay. and stuff. And meanwhile, like, I mean, the Cuban people, they're going to see that we're like fighting for truth and justice and democracy. And they're going to come like, you know, rally to our cause and overthrow the yoke of communist oppression. Obviously. That's the plan. And okay, what are your thoughts on it so far? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I just can't wait to see how it all goes tits up. I'm really excited. Yeah. Another kind of downside when they when they changed the Bay of Pigs. The Escambray Mountains are no longer there. Now now there's like a Ooh. impenetrable swamp in between where they are <laughs> and the Escambray Mountains, so they cannot escape that way. Okay, now they it have sounds to like succeed, a bad plan. <laughs> or they're stuck on the beach. It's very all or nothing. Yes. This all had to be approved through, again, the Eisenhower administration and uh, the Kennedy administration. Yeah. Opposing yeah. parties signed off on this. <laughs> Eisenhower got things moving and he figured like, okay, well, either my vice president, Richard Nixon or Kennedy will, you know, in the 1960 election, they're facing off whichever one is going to, they're going to, they're going to yes continue it. It's fine. <laughs> and they did. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting in the election. They're both hardliners on Cuba. Yeah. Talking a bunch of shit. And <laughs> Kennedy was actually out there hammering Nixon and Eisenhower for not doing this because it was a secret plan at the time. He didn't know. And Nixon's all like, that would be (laughs) irresponsible, you know, of us to do that. (laughs) But he's doing it. Um, And so Kennedy ends up inheriting it and, you know, just approving of it. I mean, bipartisanship at its finest. (laughs) Another thing to talk about with this planning is like, how did they go along with this plan that we're looking at like there are some holes man like Mm -hmm. uh, there's a few so there's a few reasons this ends up happening one i think is wishful thinking some people like and that were involved with it really wanted to see this plan as a successful one that could work kennedy for example he basically independently thought of this as a presidential candidate before it was even so when he finds out it's a thing he's like oh yeah this is my good idea yeah (laughs) You know, when the CIA guys come to him and talk, talk up the chances of it and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, like this is totally going to work. He believes them. I mean, you know, he's he's even willing to uh, he's so confident that he thinks this is going to work that when they say, oh, yeah, we'll need like this many planes. He's like, nah, can you like cut that in half? I don't want to get caught, you know, like, oh, my God, So he's like okay. willing to kind of risk it because he thinks it's such a good idea. OK, yeah, because that's that was my question, because I'm like, 
I don't know. I don't know enough about war and I don't know like how big their firepower is or whatever. Cause I'm like, if you just like fucking bombarded a place, yeah, you're going to win. Mm-hmm. But sounds like maybe they're not doing that. Uh, well, the plan calls for it, but it, it's, it's kind of run with as, you know, from their perspective, as little as a little, as small of a U.S. footprint as possible. Yeah. That's one yeah. of the things that Kennedy and Eisenhower before him were, were obsessing over. Mm-hmm. Kennedy is one of these who is so confident in that this will work that he's really looking for ways for it to work. He's already yeah, it's, sold. It's confirmation bias. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's also like a lot of dudes in there who just like have never heard people say no to them <laughs> and are just like, yeah, obviously. Like, I, I don't know. Like, it just yeah. it cracks me up. And like, everyone's trying to make sure they seem important. Mm-hmm. I bet there is some like crazy office politics shit in there too hell yeah that's actually next one is groupthink. oh yeah the classic analysis of the bay of pigs in the decision making process is is and it does play a role is that the when the u.s conspirators are having meetings about this mainly the cia guys are the ones doing the talking like you mm-hmm. said the people who you know they're not used to being told no by by the uh, president on this <laughs> And so somebody might raise a question like, uh, you know, isn't Castro like actually popular in Cuba or isn't this a fucking (laughs) stupid idea or whatever. Right. And I mean, the CIA guys would be like, well, no, like, here's why, you know, they would just Mm -hmm. like automatically kind of step in and say, no, 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 it's fine. Like this, this is the explanation instead of checking in to see maybe is, does anyone, (laughs) did anyone else like kind of say, yeah, maybe that's a legitimate question. Yeah. So you get the impression that like, well, me and this guy have this question, but clearly nobody else does. But everybody's sitting at the table thinking that everybody's on board when a lot of people mm-hmm. actually probably had questions. I think, too, because it was secret for so long and still was secret, just a slightly bigger group. There was this pressure of like, oh, well, we've been working on this for like however long. Mm. Like, I got to show something for it. And, like, that automatically limits, like, the number of opinions you can get on it. So, like, I feel like that played a factor, too. Yeah, I would say so. Another factor to bring up, of course, is the fucking CIA. Uh, (laughs) These assholes. Like, not everybody here was just kind of fucking up or or being naive or whatever. The CIA, I don't think, at least the leadership, I think they were more being assholes. Mm, Okay. They had learned an interesting lesson in the 1954 coup against Guatemala. Okay. Because, like we said, that didn't actually go off without a hitch. Mm-hmm. It actually was not that successful to start out with. Okay. It was actually catastrophically not successful. What happened? Uh, I mean, the, the invasion force stalled out. Uh, they, 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 they met with resistance, and they didn't have enough planes, enough air cover and stuff. Even after that, they're still like, oh, we don't need that many planes. Like, <laughs> No, here's why. Because what they did at that point was they went to Eisenhower and they said uh, that the operation will fail. We mm-hmm. need more planes if this operation is going to succeed. And, you know, when the chips were down, when the pressure was on, Eisenhower said, fine, get the more planes. I didn't want to mm-hmm. commit this many at first, but I'll do it because we're already there. Yeah. So the lesson they learned was that all we have to do is get approved for this much. But when we're in the situation, when the pressure is on, the president will do what they need to do. Oh, so they're like under budgeting and just like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so shitty. (laughs) Yeah. So they, I mean, that's what they figured. Like we said about the retreat thing. That was, you know, they knew about that, but they were like, it's fine. If we get stuck, we're going to go 
talk to Kennedy and we're going to tell him what the situation is. And he doesn't like it and he wouldn't approve it right now, but he's going to do whatever it takes to make this happen once it's already moving. That was what they figured would happen. Yeah. Okay. That's a, that's a big confluence of things, I guess, as to <laughs> why these people went along with, with all this shit. Jack Assery. Yes. <laughs> uh, so to shift gears, what was Cuba doing in the meantime? They're now just sitting around saying, man, it's a lovely day on the beach, you know? <laughs> Having a good day with my not exploding conch cells. <laughs> uh, so what they were doing, they're, I mean, they're readying themselves for an invasion. It's not mm-hmm. a bad idea when you're right next door to the United States. Yeah. Just in general. And Che Guevara was one who was big about this. He says, you know, all the Cuban people must become a guerrilla army. He was saying, you know, we got to train people to use guns to defend the country. It's kind of hardcore, you know, but I mean, it makes sense, I guess. It makes sense. Yeah. If you're right next door to the U.S. and you're cozying up to the Soviet Union, you're like, mm, yeah, you got some problems on your hands. Time to get ready. Yeah. Uh, they also, this wasn't just saying, well, what if, right? It wasn't just blind speculation. They also got word of an impending invasion uh, due to dumbasses in the brigade in 2506 who were just kind of bragging to each other, talking about it around oh in the Miami God. area and stuff. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. Of course they were. Of course they were. Right. Because you can picture the sorts of people who would be doing this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Loose lips did them in, you know, and Mm -hmm. people were printing kind of rumors in the papers and stuff. And they also got straight up intelligence from KGB agents who told them, like, something's in the works. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny, like, the Soviet Union knew about this. Radio Moscow did a broadcast April 13th, 1961. Okay, so like right before. Yeah, (laughs) where they said... uh, (laughs) There is going to be this invasion in a plot hatched by the CIA using paid criminals sometime this week. And sure enough, four days later, boom. Oh, man. So that's kind of cool. It. Yeah. I'm also picturing them just like sitting on the beach and they just see all these like badly painted ships going back and forth between like all the like Nicaragua and Guatemala. Yeah. They're just like, okay. Right. They're staying up at night activity. just with binoculars watching the... Uh, Watching the plane, transport planes go back and forth. Like, hmm. <laughs> A lot of traffic these days. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it was it was common sense obvious. And by intelligence, it was obvious. Something mm-hmm. was going to happen. So let's get to the invasion in action. We've got kind let's of the buildup. Now we're going to kind of do a little bit of diversionary tactics right before it. Okay. The actual invasion takes place April 17th. Okay. But the U.S. is trying to, like, do some disinformation, some diversion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The night of April 14th, they do, they try to do a diversionary landing of 164 Cuban exiles. Okay. All right, they sail from Key West, Florida, and the recon boats end up turning back because they realize the Cubans are just there on the beach waiting for them. Like, they see <laughs> militia patrols and shit, and they're like, ah. <laughs> they turn back. The Cubans launch a recon plane after them. To see what the fuck was up. Uh, yeah. But it has like engine trouble or something and it crashes. Oh no. Guy dies. The US goes back and does this disinformation thing and says, like, no, that was a defector trying to come to us because we're so cool, you know? Mm, uh, but that was not yeah. true. <laughs> the morning of April 15th, you have eight American bombers disguised as Cuban planes okay. and piloted by these, the Brigade 2506 guys. We'll also call these guys the Brigadistas. Okay. All right, I'll probably use that from now on because it's a little shorter. Yeah. 
And they departed from Nicaragua and they went and bombed some airfields in Cuba. Hey, sorry, I came up with another great way to disguise a USA plane. Put a C in front of it and you can paint the S into a B. And just now it says Cuba. Cuba. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. That would, I, you know, I'm sure that that looks exactly like the Cuban Air Force planes. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> uh, so yeah, they bomb these airfields. They kill seven. They wound fifty-three. Shit. They destroy a few aircraft. And what they're trying to make it look like, painted like Cuban planes, right? Cuban Air Force <laughs> planes. They're trying to make it look like commie on commie crime. You know? Oh, okay, okay. Like there's infighting. Yeah, dissension in the ranks. Mm-hmm. Mm, okay. So when they get back and they're reporting to their commanders, commanders ask, you know, how to go. Like, oh, man, I fucking leveled the place. I destroyed all the planes, you know. I had such a boner. (laughs) They had totally, you know, killed some people. I don't want to make it sound like there was insignificant. But this over-reporting is going to play in a little later on. Oh, because they didn't actually kill that many people. Well, that many planes. That's really what they were doing is targeting targeting their air force so where they would have air supremacy. Yeah. This is why we don't do military history usually. It's It's confusing. "Eh, What are you doing? Yeah. Which one was the diversion tactic? The, the like, spy rafts? The initial one? Uh, yeah, so these are all kind of, like, distractions in some way. Okay, so the other one was two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The first one, unless they were also disguised as, like, Cuban boats, like, to me, that's, like, it's kind of bad to have that distraction because then they're just on fucking alert. They're like, okay, we just got attacked. Like, I'm ready now. That's what I also think about this is that, like, sure, you're throwing them off, maybe. But, like, I'm not just going to be like, oh, cool, that was it. Another perfect day. Like, I'm going back home now to sleep. I'm going to go take a nap. Yeah. Like, that's another thing about this that's kind of stupid. I mean, it makes sense. For instance, they did diversionary stuff before uh, D-Day. Mm-hmm. Right. But that makes sense because you're in a war. The dude's not going to yeah. be off guard. Right? Yeah, he's not going to be like, y'all definitely not going to get attacked today. <laughs> right, but before, if you're just doing an attack, like, I don't know. It just seems weird. <laughs> yeah, so good criticism there. Morning of April 15th, another U.S. bomber is similarly dressed up as a Cuban Air Force plane. Mm-hmm. Puts on his mustache. Yeah, it leaves Nicaragua. It's bound for Florida. Now, this one has a an interesting engine. One of okay. its engines, the CIA took the cover off of it shot up the engine to make it look like it had taken fire Okay. during its escape. Because once mm-hmm. the Cuban exile pilot was close enough, he feathered the shot up engine and radioed a mayday and did an emergency landing at Miami International Airport. Okay. And he says, you know, oh, I'm so and so. He makes it, you know, he has this made up alias or whatever, but the guy was Mario Zuniga and he was a former Batista Air Force pilot. <laughs> But he claimed he was a Cuban defector. Wow. They're trying to plant the story that this is not us. Everyone's leaving. This place sucks. It's infighting. Right. Yeah. And so when the rebellion starts, it starts by, you know, this sort of dissension that's going on. Yeah. This is some petty gossip shit. Oh, my God. Speaking of petty gossip or (laughs) at least some shit talking. Also, the morning of April 15th, when all this is going down shortly after... Cuban foreign minister Raul Roa goes to the United Nations and says, um, I mean, the U.S. is fucking us 
over here they're like i mean they're doing air attacks on us they're bombing us. can you guys come get your drunk friend (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's crazy this guy the day before the cia had tried to get him to defect and he was like fuck you guys like i like you so he accuses the u.s and the united nations and the poor bastard uh adlai stevenson who Mm -hmm. is our ambassador there oh he didn't know did he he had no idea and so he goes (laughs) out there and he's like there's no way the u.s would do this um he, yeah, he, he repeats the thing about, like, this was defectors, you know. He, oh, no. Poor sweetie. Yeah, he was just out of the loop. Uh, the Fucking CIA nerd. lied to him. Kennedy, like an asshole who do, he actually does know what's going on, mm-hmm. uh, went out there and said the same thing. Uh, said, God. like, no, no, no. Like, we would never do, we would never stand for this sort of aggression. <laughs> you know, all that. Of course, of course. Uh, Even though you definitely campaigned on it. Whatever. <laughs> Even though this is a good idea. (laughs) Totally a great idea, but I wouldn't do it. Right. (laughs) So Cuba, of course, meanwhile, is like, no, 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 no. This is um, something's fucking going on. (laughs) The police start rounding up any suspected counter-revolutionaries and just putting them in prison, detaining them. Anywhere from 20 to estimates go up to like 100,000. I don't know. Wasn't able to see the numbers, but lots of people get detained because they're on super high alert. It's like yeah, what would happen yeah. to us if there's a communist <laughs> oh, invasion or something. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, the night of April 15th, they do another diversionary landing. It also fails. And they also do a failed armed uprising in Las Villas in Cuba. Some okay. undercover people try to do, you know. Hey, guys, I hate Cuba. Let's do an uprising. Right. And that failed. Doesn't it suck here? No, it's good. <laughs> right. They don't do any more airstrikes past this point because why do they need to? They wiped out most of the Cuban planes. That's what Apparently. the guy said. <laughs> oh, my God. So they cancel one of them? So, yeah, the, the rest of the airstrikes that they were like, oh, we're going to keep doing some airstrikes and keep wiping out the Air Force. They're like, well, we don't need to anymore. We got them all. Oh, gosh. Okay. People's dicks got to <laughs> in the way. <laughs> yeah. So there's no need for any more of that. They're still going to do air cover when the ground troops come in, but they're not okay. going to be just doing bombing of the airfields. Okay. The night of April 16th, they make their final preparations. The CIA and the Brigadistas fleets, uh, they meet at Rendezvous Point Zulu, 40 miles south of Cuba. They get ready. We're going to invade. They're escorted there by the U.S. Navy. They stop before they get to Cuban waters and say, kind of, you're on your own after this, you know. Mm -hmm. And there you go. The invasion. Ready, set, go. Let's do it. Midnight, April 17th, the fleet enters the Bay of Pigs. They they run into some problems pretty much immediately. Sometimes (laughs) literally running into their problems. Uh, They have engine failures. They also damage their boats on the way in because uh, (laughs) the CIA thought there was a bunch of seaweed around the Bay of Pigs, but actually it was coral reefs. And so oh, they just wow. fucking tore up their ships. <laughs> so some of them were damaged that way. Uh, one of the beaches was lit up with floodlights and they had to just be like, well, we're not invading that beach. We have to invade this other one. <laughs> that one's taken. <laughs> A Jeep with Cuban militia happens by and just like, hey, fuck you guys. And comes out and starts shooting at them and sounds the <laughs> alarm like in oh pretty much immediately. God. Oh my God. Okay, the three fucking stooges invade Cuba. (laughs) It's true slapstick humor here. Uh, Fidel Castro gets woken up 3.15 a.m. Hey, the fucking Yankees are invading, you know, and Mm -hmm. so he puts the militia in the area on alert. He orders airstrikes and 
heads out to the front. He's going to lead the troops personally out there against the against the North Americanos. Yeah, and with his healthy beard. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, with his (laughs) non. Uh, falling out beard or whatever. That's the only reason people follow him. I'm pretty sure it's the beard. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We get to daybreak, April 17th. The Cuban air force starts attacking the invaders as they're unloading. Yep. Yeah. Never a good thing to be on the receiving end of, uh, (laughs) many survivors of that. Uh, they end up still being unable to do anything in terms of the invasion because, uh, their weapons, their equipment gets damaged on the way in either through (laughs) water or otherwise. One ship loses its medical supplies, another loses its radios when it's straight blown up by a Cuban plane. Wow. Lots of fucking stuff going on. Uh, Yeah, because they, like, got the alarm called immediately. They didn't have time to, like, unpack their guns. mm -hmm. So they're just fucked. Yeah. And the, they get, you know, they get in their tanks, though. those, Those get unloaded, and some of their air cover comes in. They start dropping paratroopers in. These guys are kind of interesting. They were supposed to go up further up and cut off the roads, mm, yeah, set yeah. up a blockade, right? Instead, they're dropped too, they're dispersed too widely when they're dropped out of their uh-huh. planes, and they end up losing equipments in the swamps. <laughs> and yeah, so they, they, they like fucking fail at setting up the blockade. And so, you know, the troops from the rest of the country are able to come in to the fight. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I have a question. Yeah. So this was supposed to look like an internal revolution. What the fuck kind of internal revolution would storm a beach? Like, well, Cuban exiles. Uh, it's supposed to look like. Oh, it's, okay, got it, got it, got it. Like it's Cuban led. That's the only okay. thing. It doesn't have to be. There's partially a up a domestic uprising too. Like all that stuff is designed to make it look like, hey, there are other people here who want to join mm-hmm. in and do stuff. So when the Cuban exiles come, cool, let's all do the thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Got Problem it. was there I were just it. like not people, <laughs> not very many <laughs> people who wanted thing. to do that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we reach mid morning of April seventeenth. Castro gets on the radio, the TV, addresses the Cuban people. He says, you know. The exiled plantation owners, the bankers, the profiteers, the people we, you know, really were glad to get rid of. They're back. <laughs> they're invaders. They're armed to the teeth by their imperialist masters. You know, they're coming back to, to, to take back over and to re-enslave you. Maybe you should do something about that. Yeah, like, Here's a gun. <laughs> we got to resist them. Together, we're going to do it. We'll be victorious against this. Let's do it. Okay. By that afternoon, Cube, the Cuban militia... Uh, had advanced. They're they're getting like bombarded, air bombardments and stuff. And there's like kind of dogfights and stuff happening above. Later, the CIA supply ships retreat to get some more supplies and come back with them. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> during that process, two of their ships, their captains decide, "Fuck this! This is stupid," and they try to run away. Oh my god! <laughs> they get stopped by the U.S. Navy. And they're like, fuck you guys. We gave you all this money. No, you're going back. Oh, no. By the time those guys do actually get back to the Bay of Pigs, it's actually over. for (laughs) They're out for the rest of it. So they're down to like two supply ships. Oh, my gosh. That's hilarious. Also, it was like really close. (laughs) Like, I wonder where those guys are. Yeah. (laughs) Idiots. The night of April 17th, the Brigadistas are pushed back. They're running out of ammo. The two supply ships that do return come back mm-hmm. with a bit more, but it's not enough. There's 2,100 Cubans, the Cuban army, militia mostly, some cops thrown in there too. 
Like pretty much anybody who can get a gun yeah. is hauling ass to the Bay of Pigs to shoot at these guys. <laughs> uh, by then, Castro's there directly commanding their forces. And he even like got in a got in like a artillery, like a mobile artillery tank destroyer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just fucks people up. Well, yeah, he shot it at the, like the, he shelled the freighter, one of the freighters, one of the supply oh ships. Oh my gosh. He, he was actually like shooting it himself. Can you imagine if a president like <laughs> just did that? <laughs> <It'd be> crazy. <laughs> Let me get in there. Move over, Mac. Yeah. <laughs> they could do it now. They just go to the drone strike room and That's true. Say, they just like have a joystick. Yeah. <laughs> Is this like Mario Kart? <laughs> so that's what's happening by the end of the first day. Jesus. Uh, it's, okay. it's already blown to hell from the American <laughs> perspective, pretty much. They're barely hanging on. The uh, offensive part of it had been halted. It was being rolled back. Mm-hmm. They're just really trying to hold the beachhead at this point. Desperate situation. And at 2 p.m., President Kennedy got a telegram from the premier of the Soviet Union, Nikita Khrushchev. Okay. Basically telling him, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> hey, can you not? <laughs> yeah. Khrushchev says, we know what you're doing. It's fucked up. You better stop or else. <laughs> And Kennedy's caught unaware. He's very surprised. He thought he was just going to get away with this, you know, that that they were going to pull it off. He was very confident in that. He thought no one was going to know till it was done, till it was a done deed, and then <sighs> he'd, you know, be free and in the clear. The confidence of a white man. <laughs> what if I had that for even just a day? What could I accomplish? What evils could you <laughs> could you bring about? <laughs> what countries could I destroy? <laughs> Uh, wow. But yeah, so he's completely, you know, taken off guard, kind of frozen by this because like mm-hmm. the Soviets were calling him out and making the threat pretty clear. This yeah. In the telegram, it says, you know, this could lead to an incomparable conflagration. Oh, fuck. That's that's not great. Which is just saying, hey, you know, you know, the situation. here. He put like a missile emoji, basically. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I mean, that was something that Kennedy really, I think, believed that while he might do brinkmanship to some extent and we'll see Mm -hmm. in the later cuban missile crisis that both sides kind of really didn't want to do that yeah yeah but it was a real threat still at the time the result is that kennedy when the cia guys come to him and say oh we need more planes dad yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) we're stuck uh we need we need help bail us out or this fails it's on you what are you going to do Mm mm-hmm uh, Kennedy said, it's fine. We'll fail. <laughs> That's cool. Let's get out of there. I would like to not do nuclear war right now. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, he blinks. He refuses to Good call. commit more things. It's interesting. Raul Castro, who's Fidel's brother, second in command there. Yeah. Uh, said about later recalls this in an interview with a Mexican journalist saying Kennedy uh, vacillated. If at that moment he had decided to invade us, he could have suffocated the island in a sea of blood, but he could have destroyed the revolution. Lucky for us, he vacillated. Yeah, that's true. Honestly. Crucial point there. Kennedy. Close fucking call. Yeah. (laughs) And so without air support, April 19th rolls around. Supply ships can't uh, resupply the Brigadistas because there's too much fucking bombing from uh, the Cuban Air Force. Yeah. And they, I mean, they launched like a last little attack mission with CIA and the Alabama Air Guard. But it's it's quickly defeated. They also try to do a ground counter offensive that's also defeated. 
uh, they're, they're, I mean, those are like kind of last ditch efforts that did not work. They're looking through like plan, like L and M, like, okay, what's next? <laughs> right. <laughs> Anything what do else? We do here? Yeah. Um, by the <laughs> afternoon, the brigadistas were in full retreat to the beaches or to the jungle or to the swamps, just trying to get the fuck oh. out of there, getting gunned down on the way. And so by April 20th, I mean, it was done. The U.S. was searching for survivors and up rescuing like 30 folks. The Cuban people had defeated the American-led invasion of their island. Wow. The rebels defeated the empire sort of thing, you know? Yeah, they had to feel pretty fucking good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that's like the immediate events of it. Uh, overall, you're looking at the Brigadistas. 118 of them are killed, including four American airmen that were flying with them. Mm-hmm. 360 wounded and they end up getting 1202 of them captured i guess that includes some of the wounded too so okay cuban armed forces 176 killed 400 to 500 wounded uh, the militia there's an estimate of around 200 casualties very vague on the militia we couldn't really find okay. good numbers but so both sides i mean end up bloodied yeah yeah so the brigadistas the ones that are captured it's interesting 1,202 of them captured. Among them, I just want to paint the picture of who these guys were. You got 100 plantation owners. (laughs) 67 landlords. Oh, my God. 35 factory owners. 112 businessmen. 194 ex-Batista soldiers. And 179 who lived off of unearned income. So I guess just speculators of some sort. Okay, yeah. So these aren't like poor farmers or something <laughs> yeah. or like just i just have a little shop or whatever like, right <laughs> these are fucking assholes these are people who suck this is yeah I, I i liken this to maybe if if america did a socialist revolution and then like not like a year into it you know some wall street guys and <laughs> some ex-navy seals like try to do a invasion of florida or something <laughs> yeah yeah exactly <laughs> oh my god that's delicious wow together these uh, this this motley crew had previously owned more than nine hundred thousand acres of land 70 factories five mines two banks and 10 sugar mills jesus fuck these guys oh my gosh can you imagine how easy it would be to get on TV and be like, hey, your landlord's here. Do you want to go, like, shoot him? Yeah, <laughs> let's go. Parody, parody. <laughs> parody, parody, parody. I don't have a landlader anymore, so I can say that. Uh, remember, it's in theory. It's just discussing a revolutionary thing. <laughs> so, yeah, these are the guys who were captured. Nine of them die mm-hmm. en route to Havana from the Bay of Pigs. Apparently okay. what seems to happen is they crammed them into a poorly ventilated truck. So it's kind of oh, an accident. Not, not like, uh, you know, they intended to. And so, well, yeah. they died. Not good. Uh, 14 of them were convicted of major crimes like torture or murder from before. Oh, okay. The okay. revolution. And so they're like, oh, it's that asshole. And they executed. <laughs> uh, this motherfucker. They executed five of, of those 14 and they imprisoned the rest of those 14 for 30 years. Not great, but, you know, not great things they did. So, yeah. Yeah. Real assholes. And we've we've discussed, I guess, the nuance before on revolutionary justice and how it's hard to judge, I guess. Yeah, it's not my favorite activity, but these guys do suck. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's hard to be too sad for them. Uh, in March 1962, uh, the rest of the 
prisoners uh, were put on trial for treason, found guilty, sentenced to 30 years in prison. In April of that year, around 60 of them were who were wounded or sick. Castro was just like, nah, y'all go back and release them to the U.S. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, just, just sent those guys back. Like That's pretty chill. Kind of, I was thinking, like, also, well, we don't want to waste resources. On yeah, it. I don't want to take care of this motherfucker. Yeah, yeah it's fair. Uh, meanwhile, Castro, like, did not want to execute these guys because he figured that this would give, like, the U.S. a moral mm-hmm. victory and they would be like, oh, brutal dictator. You Look know? at these guys. Yeah. Except for, obviously, the guys who had really done some shit before the revolution. Yeah, uh, yeah. So he starts basically ransoming them back to the U.S. Uh <laughs> <laughs> trying to set okay. up a prisoner exchange sort of thing, demanding mm-hmm. 500 large farm tractors. Oh, okay. And Kennedy, you know, the, the administration kind of entertains this scheme for a while thinking about it, but they get flack from it because people are like, oh, mm-hmm. those are really big tractors. They could use that to like bulldoze and make airfields and shit. And like, what the fuck? Yeah. Castro was like, we have enough airfields for our pretty small air force, but like, yeah, we're good. I just want to like grow. Yeah. But, they, you know, they get into this big, it's kind of a boring back and forth about it. Uh, the Kennedy guys are like, well, we can offer you, like, offer you like, the value of it. And Cash is like, I don't, and I don't need that. I need, like, the tractors. And they're like, well, you refused our deal of 20 minutes. So, oh no, never mind. Oh, my God. And he's like, that was, that was your deal. I don't, sorry. <sighs> and he ends up, though, negotiating with an interesting crew, um, a lawyer named James Donovan. Okay. Uh, who was played by Tom Hanks in Bridge of Spies, if you've seen that. Oh, yeah, I like that movie. That's James Donovan, who's being oh, no. portrayed there. This lawyer and uh, and actually the CIA's lawyer, uh, a guy named Milan Miskowski. Okay. And for some reason, Castro negotiates with these guys, but they apparently had some, like, cachet with communist mm-hmm. governments because they had also negotiated the release of Gary Powers, who was an American POW, the guy that got shot from the U-2 spy plane. The name sounds familiar. They were the guys who negotiated that. And so I guess like communists like them, you know. <laughs> so they negotiated a deal with Castro to exchange the remaining prisoners for $53 million worth of food and medicine. Oh, wow. I want to say as far as like ransoms go, this is like the least sexy ransom like demands I've ever heard. It's usually like, Tra- give me a million dollars in gold bars. Yeah, and it's like, I'd like a tractor and some medicine, please. <laughs> uh, it's like you're yeah. doing a Stardew Valley fetch <laughs> yeah, quest. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So they do that. It's all raised by private donations and companies trying to get a tax break and stuff like that. Because mm, the government's okay. not, uh, no, we're, we're not negotiating with Terry. You know how it goes. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So they do that, and he releases them. Later on, they end up releasing like a lot of other people that they had imprisoned or family members and stuff like that, too. They end up doing like a big welcome back ceremony for these guys. Oh, my God. In the Orange Bowl in Miami. Uh, <laughs> it's weird because like the president and the first lady go and, like shake hands with them and all that. That's super weird for not wanting to be associated with it to being like, welcome back, brave heroes. <laughs> right. And, and, and brave heroes who lost. Like, you guys got your asses kicked. <laughs> it's a weird thing to celebrate a loss, I guess. Yeah, for sure. So anyway, yeah. I mean, that's Bay of Pigs. Total failure on the part of the United States. A successful defense of a socialist country by the Cuban people. 
Yeah. And honestly, the Soviet Union really pulled their nuts out of the fire there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, that was a big, I mean, that was a big step. You probably end up seeing something like Guatemala in 1954, if you don't do that. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like, I don't think it would have gone so well had that not happened. Like Raul Castro said, they had us if they wanted us, you know? Yeah. If they were willing to. Now, I do think that Cuba was better prepared defensively, and it would have been a lot bloodier, but... That's true. And, like, it's just, like, a bunch of different factors of, like, the ineptitude of the CIA (laughs) and the, the blusteringness of their plan. Yeah. Definitely didn't help. But they were counting on the fact they could always run back to daddy and be like, I need more toys. Yeah, so fucking, ah. <laughs> so let's talk oh. about that a little bit. So the, the kind of the American, you know, what did they pull from this? For mm-hmm. one, this leaves Kennedy hating the CIA because uh, he feels okay. that he's been tricked, you know, or misled and, and come, mm-hmm. coming out of that. And there he was like, man, they had, you know, they were, they tried yeah, to have like me on the hook. Asset. Yeah. And. He's talking about, you know, splintering the CIA into a thousand pieces and scattering it to the winds. All right, I'm coming around on this guy. (laughs) Uh, Obviously, he didn't actually do that. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah. This hatred of the CIA, though, this kind of rivalry between them, some people Mm -hmm. say, and this is not too inconsequential of uh, friction, uh, considering, yeah, considering that uh, (laughs) Kennedy sort of, (laughs) let's say, loses his mind over the CIA. I, uh, yeah, I made a gun motion at my head. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, the U.S. proceeds to impose a full embargo on Cuba after the Bay of Pigs invasion. Mm-hmm. And Kennedy starts kind of going wild trying to get rid of Castro, uh, gets the Pentagon on the case and he gets his brother, Bobby, the attorney general on the case. Mm. He ends up heading up what becomes Operation Mongoose, this you know, covert plans to assassinate Castro. Oh, yeah. All the crazy Looney Tunes shit. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, so he really gets into it. He becomes kind of an obsession with them. The humiliation of the whole thing also, I think, kind of hardens Kennedy on the Cold War in general. Like in Dragon Age? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we make this reference all the time. I hope people play Bioware games who listen to this. <laughs> Sometimes you can really fuck up a companion by, like, doing their quest wrong. Right, and so they come away like, man, fuck the jaded. world. Yeah, yeah, jaded. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's because, you know, in this whole debacle he looked weak mm-hmm. right and he wanted to show the world that that's not me man i'm strong i've got a backbone america's the best blah 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 right so i mean i think we see this whenever he's like being kind of a macho man about the showdown of the cuban missile crisis a year later in october mm, is we yeah. gotta we gotta be tough you know we can't <laughs> let them think that we're soft that sort of thing okay yeah on the cuban side you know, what's their reaction? Obviously. Pretty pumped. Yeah. <laughs> this makes Fidel Castro even more popular with the Cuban people. Overall, like, you know, the, the government, the, the, the project yeah. that they're putting together. He goes ahead and says, you know, this revolution, I think it's during the course of this, he mentions that this, you know, this revolution is Marxist-Leninist. He chose his cards. Yeah. I mean, they're going to invade me anyway, right? <laughs> yeah, fuck it. Cuba ends up getting closer to the Soviet Union. Uh, mainly, I mean, it's kind of a protection move, which makes sense. Makes like, sense, dude. If, yeah, they already invaded you, like, they already stuck up for you, like, fucking, like you said, like, play your cards already. Yeah, yeah. You figured out when people show you what side they're on, believe them, you know? Mm-hmm. Another, I mean, another big impact of this is that that embargo continues to impact, continues to hurt the Cuban people. 
you know, to this day. It's the, it's the longest yeah. embargo in, in modern history. Uh, and they're still suffering from that and dealing with it. And I guess that's one thing when you look at, like, anything that Cuba has done or is doing, you got to keep in mind that it's, like, in the context of being on the wrong end of a trade embargo by the biggest empire in world history. Yeah, yeah. You're working with one hand tied behind your back, basically. Yeah. So let's talk about some lessons learned here. Okay. What do you think? Well, if I put my bad guy hat on, then I've learned to ask for however many planes you need. (laughs) In the beginning. (laughs) Yeah. Listen to people, maybe, or like encourage people to poke holes in your plan. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Do some iterative testing and research, perhaps. I think that's a big one, (laughs) is that like people kind of went in there thinking like, Uh, These guys are in positions of authority. They're experts. They're the best and the brightest. Uh, They know what they're doing, but like they can be wrong too. And when they present you with a stupid idea, you should be like, wait, what? (laughs) Maybe not. Yeah. Yeah. Bad guy side. That's what I would learn is don't be a dingus, basically. (laughs) Yeah. I was struck by just the sheer size differential between like Cuba and the United States. Like that's insane that they like one against this imperial power and like definitely soviet union helped with that but i think too the way he was able like the way castro was able just to get on tv and be like hey guys they're invading us let's go fuck them up and like everyone was ready like they have a militia readiness in not just like the military like everybody (laughs) yes yeah they were super ready for it that was a big part of their preparation i mean they had gone ahead and taken care of i think an important part is If we think we're about to be invaded, we need to make sure we're not going to also have to worry about some bullshit here in the capital. And they arrested lots of Mm, people. That's true. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Uh, uh, Marx's Lenin estates end up being the ones that we talk about as far as like actually existing socialist countries because they're the ones that Mm -hmm. actually survive. Uh, Yeah. We, you know, we're soft little anarchists a lot of times. And we like to imagine like... (laughs) The Animal Crossing world where, you know, the biggest danger you face is getting bit by a spider and waking up at your house later. Mm-hmm. But in the real world, the empires are actually going to be coming for you, you know? like The empire is the spider. Yeah. And I mean, if you're commune, I mean, at least if your commune is doing anything right, they're going to be after you, you know? Yeah, yeah. So you have to be ready. I mean, they yeah. were ready. They were training people. They armed their people. And that's always so fucking important. Yes. Yeah. And, I mean, like you say, we're soft and we're, we're like... <laughs> we're babies. I don't know. I don't want to use a gun. I'm scared of guns. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I mean, I think when it comes down to doing a worker state, doing a, doing actual a, a socialist revolution, once you're on the... You know, even during, but, like, once you're on the other side of it, too, you need yeah. to be ready for the bad guys to come after you. Yeah, and I think that kind of... <laughs> This is going to make me sound like maybe a jerk or something. It kind of helped me when you were breaking down like who those people were. I'm like, oh, they're all dicks. Like, it's fine. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I still don't like violence, but at least these guys kind of had it coming. A lot of them did. I'm sure there were some misguided folks who were, you know, regular people or whatever. Just one and guy. They, and they, Yeah, I mean, there had to be some of them, I'm sure. But I'm sure. But, like, that's a huge cross-section of people. Like, that's a pretty good sample size, I feel like. Well, that's when when people are talking about, and people will do this a lot to try to tear down Cuba and stuff and say, but, you know, well, my ancestors, you know, they lost their farm and all their property. And a lot of times, 
I don't want to. There are some good people, sure, that like left again. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, but a lot of people left and had their property taken, and that was like the people that were working for them, you know, or their plantation. And so when yeah. they dress it up as like, oh, we lost everything, included in that was like a sugar mill. Yeah, exactly. It's not like they're just regular ass people. Right. Yeah. They didn't take their <laughs> tiny little apartment. These guys like were living it up a lot of times. They were good people too. But when they say farm, they mean plantation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, there are some people who just regular people who left. But I mean, that's like an ideological choice at that point. Like, okay, you're, you don't want to be a part of it. Like, fuck it. Fine. This is just another leave. thing too, is people say, oh, <laughs> they were persecuting people who weren't like them. It's like, okay, well, a belief system is something you can change. It's not, we're not, you know, doing apartheid where we're just doing it based on an immutable characteristic of you. Mm-hmm. Like it's, if you're not just, if you believe something, but if you're actively taking measures against that government or you know, against those people, you know, what are you, what's going to happen? Yeah. I mean, they could have stayed some, some of their shit would be taken, but they would get healthcare. Like, Oh no. <laughs> right. <yeah. laughs> like that's fine. Terrible. <laughs> Uh, some other lessons. What can we draw from this? The importance of allies. Like you said, Soviet yeah, Union, big time here. Absolute MVP. I mean, yeah, that's like the reason the U.S. was, first of all, worried about the deniability in the first place, was they didn't mm-hmm. want, you know, to kick something off. And then when the Soviets stepped in and said, we know, <laughs> that was enough to back them down. Without yeah. that, again, like, that could have just been done. And who would they even have to turn to when, like, the embargo stuff starts happening, you know, when they are trying to get oil and stuff, you know, they they, they had to have somebody there. You know, everyone needs that crazy friend who will stand up for you. (laughs) And there you go. I think that was useful. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that they immediately knew it was the United States. Like, yeah, our intelligence was good enough to be like, yeah, this is fucking you. Yes. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) We've been seeing you just cruising around the fucking Gulf of Mexico (laughs) for the past month. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. Awesome. That's all. That's not, I mean, there's other shit, I guess, but that's the big, <laughs> the detailed rundown, I think, of the Bay of Pigs. Nice. Yeah. That was a good change up. We don't usually do a lot of like deep dives, especially like you said, military history. That's not really our forte. <laughs> yeah. And that's probably why that, why once, once it got started, it was a little quicker. <laughs> Cause I'm just yeah. like, you know, and then they bombs. <laughs> then they do this guns, bombs. You get it. What are we going to be doing next week? Next week, we're going to be having a discussion on a book. Hell yeah. Commie book club. Yes. Um, this time, though, it's going to be a fiction book, which we have not done here yet. Yeah, it's this one's a really good one. I'm obsessed with this book. I'm like telling everyone about it. It is called The Dispossessed. It is a novel by Ursula K. Le Guin, who is like very famous for sci-fi fantasy novels. She's actually been on my list to read for a long time. And then a listener suggested this book. And I was like, holy shit, this book's about anarchism. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> it's interesting i've i'm still catching up to where we need to be but uh, we'll get there it's super cool in terms of its discussion of yeah like you said anarchism versus capitalism and it's even socialism gets in there it's mm-hmm. very interesting yeah <laughs> so yeah if you want to read that it's a pretty cheap buy and it's a fast read once you get into it uh, my copy is about 
380 pages long, but I read it in like a week. I was very into it. So You might start out slow, kind of mm, gradually uh, picking up steam, I guess, because the way it unfolds at the beginning is a little confusing. But The structure is a little weird. <laughs> but yeah, I think that later on that really pays off. So stick yes, with definitely. it if you're slow going at the beginning, because then you're then you look back. Oh, fuck, that was good. Um, another thing, if you are l- looking not to shell out money, check out your local public library, either in person, obviously to get a card set up or whatever. But you can also like download an app. Like, for instance, my local libraries are on cloud library. And once you have like your library card, you can set that up real easy. That's awesome. And download it read it for free it's just like you know reading on the kindle app or something that's so cool yeah support libraries for real okay in the meantime you can find us online we are on instagram at teach me communism twitter at teach communism you can send us an email at teach me communism at gmail.com and any of those you can use to send us questions or requests, uh, things like the question at the top of the show or the book we're going to be looking at next week. Those are all from listeners. So we listen to you because you listen to us. <laughs> we love your feedback, criticisms, comments, questions, all that. All of it. Give me. As long as you're nice, kind of. Make sure you also give those to us publicly by giving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Yes, it really helps people find the show. Um, so rate and review. Yes. We also just like it on a personal level. It makes us feel good. <laughs> it's nice. How many gold stars do you get? You got like four, five, seven. I don't know. This is like a version of gold stars in real life. You know, it really is. <laughs> okay. We're on YouTube. If that's how you like to listen to podcasts, if you know somebody that's into that, we're also on Patreon. If you want access to our notes. So this week you'll be getting Grady's notes. Yes. They're very detailed. Beefy. I didn't use completely all of it, so there's extra content. Oh, bonus stuff. Okay, get on that. Five bucks a month, you get that and the backlog. And at the end of the year, we'll be giving that to a local mutual aid fund, so it's not like we're getting rich off of this, so just just do it. That's true. We're not proprietarians. <laughs> Fuck those guys. <laughs> all right. I think that's it. Uh, Yeah, I think so. Thanks again, as always, for being an excellent and exemplary student. Mm, I did get two gold stars, so. <laughs> there you go. And I'm leading the class next week. So that, I feel like that deserves another star preemptively. Preemptive for taking star. Here goes. <laughs> <laughs> I am such a type A student. <laughs> for real. <laughs> for an artist, I'm very type A. And I'm the ultimate type B. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to you listeners out there hope you enjoyed what you heard today you can tune in next week for another episode of teach me communism where the class struggle is always in session bye y'all bye